today on Ag News Daily. But it does look like some rain in, in parts of uh, southern Brazil here moving forward. And then temperature-wise, you know, we're always watching for cooler risk this time of the year and, and you know, any sort of frost potential. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech... No, wait. Ashton, today is not Tech Tuesday. I almost said Tech Tuesday, but it is, in fact, Wednesday. You know, Delaney, I won't put any blame on you because you weren't on yesterday. We did feature our interview with AgView that we did at World Pork Expo yesterday, though. So, folks, if you did miss out on Tech Tuesday like Delaney did, you can go back and listen to that at agnewsdaily.com. Yes, well, I'm going to have to obviously go back and re-list to that. But today is Wednesday and today is Weather Wednesday. I just coined that one. I know not very super creative, but it is an alliteration. So I like it nonetheless. But we're going to be talking weather today with Ed Valley coming up later on. But while we're on the topic of weather, Ashton, I won't steal too much of Ed's thunder here, but we are seeing some pretty mixed weather patterns here across the Pacific Northwest heading into the Corn Belt. Uh, Here in Iowa, we've gotten rain quite a few days here over the past couple of days. It was raining pretty heavily this morning, rained yesterday, rained Sunday, and a little bit into Saturday. So we are starting to see some rainfall across some key growing regions. But will it be enough is the big question. And I'm sure we'll get Ed's take on that here coming up in just a little bit. Absolutely. Delaney, I think that Lubbock is supposed to get some rain this weekend. Um, I'm not quite sure. I can't remember, but uh, yeah, we'll leave that up to Ed to kind of catch us up on will it be enough? Not so sure though, but kicking things off, talking about some news here, Delaney, President Biden and USDA Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack will be in Wisconsin. They will be visiting a farm next Tuesday, according to Congressman Ron Kind, who says that this is going to give us an opportunity to get a family farm or to get to a family farm, talk about the Build Back Better plan, what it means for rural Wisconsin and rural America as a whole. So I'm very excited to see what happens during this visit. Although a location and details for the president's visit hasn't been announced yet, I'm very excited to see the conversation specifically about that Build Back a Better plan, because we haven't had an update on that in quite some time, I would say, at least a couple of days. And Ashton, this is his plan for rural America specifically, is that correct? I believe so. Yes, there's. I feel like there's just been a lot of back and forth on Build Back Better and about um, infrastructure and and those kinds of things, like the the thirty by thirty plan. So hopefully there's some clarification there and we get a little bit more detail on what Biden really has in store for rural America. Absolutely. Well, speaking of rural America and policy, Senator Chuck Grassley says that meat packers are out of touch with concerns in the farming community. Basically related here to, of course, the cattle legislation that he has proposed along with Senators Tester and Rounds and Ashton. I know we're working to schedule an interview with those folks to try and discuss that a little bit more in depth, that piece of legislation here. But Grassley told reporters 
ahead of the Senate Ag Committee earlier this week, earlier this afternoon, I should say that, quote, the situation is very bad. And my comment is they, referencing the Packers, have their head stuck in the sand. So essentially, this new piece of legislation that these three folks are pushing forward here, which is a bipartisan piece of legislation, nonetheless, is to address those anti-competitive practices in the meat and poultry industries that, quote unquote, threaten the nation's food supply. More specifically, we're talking Tyson, JBS, the big four here, meat processors. And um, I think this was actually a rounds quote, Senator Rounds quote, but he said, unfortunately, packer concentration in the beef industry is more consolidated today than it was when the Packers and Stockyards Act was first signed into law 100 years ago. South Dakota Cattle producers are going broke while consumers are paying an overinflated premium for beef at the grocery stores a long past time to address this problem. So he goes on further to talk about the legislation that they are presenting to Congress. But essentially, as I'm sure our cattle producing friends have noticed, they're not making a lot of money, but the packer continues to be making pretty good margins on especially cattle, as well as poultry. But hopefully we'll get some insight and update there from folks in Congress here shortly on the podcast. Absolutely, Delaney. And I also have some things uh, to talk about concerning the courts as the U.S. Supreme Court tightened the reins on organized labor earlier today as they declared in a case brought by two fruit companies that a decades-old California regulation that let union organizers enter ag properties without an employer's consent violated constitutional property rights. The 6-3 ruling overturned a 2019 lower court decision throwing out the challenge to the regulation by the companies in the most populous U.S. state, that being California. The court found that the regulation, which gave union organizers access to the company's workers, was akin to the government taking private property for public use without just compensation in violation of the U.S. Constitution's Fifth Amendment. Now, this is a pretty big move when it comes to property rights, which I didn't think was too big of an issue. But after reading this article and, you know, hearing some of the feedback that came from people on both sides of the story was a pretty big issue. This marked the latest setback for unions at the Supreme Court, which in 2018 ruled in in another case that non-members cannot be forced as they are in certain states to pay fees to unions representing public employees, such as police and teachers that negotiate collective bargaining agreements with employers. So some pretty big moves, it sounds like, especially when it comes to property rights. It certainly sounds that way, Ashton, but uh, none of that's really going to matter if we see big taxes being slapped on by Uncle Sam due to estate taxes. You know, Delaney, I don't know how all of that really works, but I'm just going to trust you. (laughs) Well, Ashton, turning our attention here to the international market, this is an interesting piece of news to say the least, but the European Union is set to allow insect-derived protein to be fed to poultry and hogs. The bloc's member states have endorsed the proposal so far. It hasn't gone into law, but is expected to be completed later this year, maybe as early as August. Um, However, we've seen insects emerging as a more sustainable source of protein and definitely one that industries here in the United States even are looking at. I wouldn't say it's a huge market as of yet, but uh, 
we are seeing Europe go ahead and move forward with this. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes. You know, you think about Europe in particular, they are a very specific marketplace. They worry a lot about things like mad cow disease, which, you know, we, we are worried about as well, but I think they're just maybe more of a locked down system than what we are here in the United States comparably. And so they're looking for some alternatives here to just traditional feed sources. So interesting there that we're going to see insects be one of those new sources. Another effort brought forth by the ag industry is conservation, and a new nutrient management and conservation program is inviting farmers to share how they are working to protect the productivity of the land. 4R Plus has launched a new initiative called On the Plus Side, and it's all about getting farmers involved in telling the story of 4R Plus practices on their farms. I think that this can be a cool way for farmers to share their conservation story, get some new ideas, and really talk about increasing yields, protecting the soil, and water quality on their operations. So folks, I think you can do this um, on Twitter and Facebook if you just follow 4R Plus. So I definitely think that you should go and look at some of those highlights. Yeah, and we've talked about 4R Plus on the podcast. Uh, it's been a while back now, but uh, that's a program I am familiar with as well. But it's a, a good one overall. Um, let's see, I have just one other piece of news here, Ashton, looking down to Argentina. I've got a quick update here on beef exports. Argentina is planning to lift beef exports on about 50% of their quota after they've now gotten through the 30-day ban, of course, prohibiting any sort of exports to overseas or you know, on the continent markets. But production minister told reporters that exports that exporters would be allowed to sell abroad again. However, they can only do that at about 50% of the levels that we saw last year. So they're still trying to tamp down domestic prices and inflation and are at least allowing now producers to see some exports go through the country. But as far as the uh, riot goes, the strike goes, not a riot, I don't think we are seeing any more of that within the beef industry, but uh, I'll keep us up to date on that. Well, I'm all out of news for today. Delaney, what do you say we hop into the markets? Let's do that, Ashton. Uh, Markets were mixed today across the board. We're seeing old crop have a little bit of strength left than it here before it heads to expiration. But overall, we saw mostly weakness today in the grain markets. July new crop, however, did finish up four and a half cents to end at 664 and a quarter. The Dece down three and a quarter cent to close at 535 and three quarters. In the soybean pits, the July contract down nine and a half cents today to close at thirteen eighty-five. The November down two cents to close at thirteen dollars. And in wheat today, we saw some strength, uh, mostly due, I'm going to guess here, to news of poor crop conditions across wheat country. Chicago contract, Chicago July contract up ten and quarter cent today to close at six sixty-one and a quarter. The September up eight and three quarters cents to close at six sixty-three and three quarters. Hopping over to take a look at livestock, we saw weakness today. Early on, we saw a little strength, but couldn't follow through as the August live cattle contract shed 30 cents to close at 122.87. The October down 20 cents to close at 128.17. And in feeder cattle, weakness continued 
as the August contract shed 265 to close at 155.70. The September down $2.27.5 to close at 158.07.5. And And in lean hogs, the weakness continued as the July contract shed $3 today to close at 104.52.5. That is a limit down move. The August down $2.97.5 to close at $100.72.5. And lastly, wrapping things up here in the class three dairy milk futures july contract up a nickel today to close at 16.53 the august down 16 cents to close at 16.67 without further ado ashen let's kick it over to our conversation today with ed valley Well, today we are talking to Ed Valley, who is a meteorologist and owner of Empire Weather. And I've been talking this interview up because I think folks are getting a little bit frustrated with the weather. So Ed, thank you so much for coming on and maybe we can kind of subdue that frustration. I don't know if we can or not. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So, I mean, everything is pretty much hot and dry right now. Is that correct, Ed? Yeah, unfortunately, there are a couple areas in the eastern belt, Illinois, Indiana, uh, parts of Kentucky that are actually pretty wet. But I would say the majority of the ag belt here is certainly on the hot side here in June and and definitely on the drier side as well. And I want to talk, I mean, you you mentioned like the ag belt, corn belt region, of course, we're keeping an eye out on crop conditions and, you know, this drought and this extreme heat has some effect there, but I want to kick it down a little bit to the south, to the west, and talk about the Lake Mead area out in um, Arizona, Nevada. It's getting real hot, real dry down there. And I think some cattle producers are hurting. They're kind of moving around, seeing if they can't get some water. So what's going on in that area? Yeah, great question. I was actually out there this past fall, and even back then they were starting the drought. So you can imagine as you add six to nine months of additional dryness and heat on top of that, things are really looking tough west of the Continental Divide uh, in Wyoming, Colorado, right out into the Four Corners, and then even out towards the West Coast as well. And, And there's a big ridge of high pressure and control, and it's been there for quite some time. And as you can imagine, dry usually begets more dryness over time, uh, and that's exactly what we're seeing. So we're, we're seeing record low water levels in Lake Mead, and as we move forward, I really don't see much in the way of relief as we head into the end of June and early July. Uh, some of our customers out there, uh, like you said, dealing with a lot of wa- uh, water shortages and, and even some wildfires in some cases, and unfortunately, right into the beginning of July, I really don't see that changing all too much. And you mentioned wildfires there. Do you think that we have an increased threat or anything like that, especially to our states in the West, like Washington, Oregon, California, who saw these wildfires in the summer of 2020? Do you think we have an increased threat or, you know, things that we need to be paying attention to right now when it comes to drought and wildfires in that area? Absolutely. That's a great point. And and to be quite honest, next week and to end the month of June here, we're going to be seeing record high temperatures up in the PNW, the Pacific Northwest. And a lot of the West Coast is going to be much warmer than normal. And when you couple that with the dryness and the heat we've already seen, it's not a good thing, right? So I I think moving forward, wildfire risk is going to be up. Water shortages are going to continue. And again, like I said, unless we can get some, uh, you know, thunderstorm activity in, in parts of the higher terrain out there, I really don't see a lot of relief over the next two or three weeks. 
So we're not seeing relief in Southwest of the U S and West, um, those states out in the West. So are we seeing any kind of relief here in the Corn Belt region? Great question. And, and the answer is yes. We're starting to see a pattern change. You know, the first half or two thirds here of uh, June has been in some cases record hot in a lot of the Northern Corn Belt. And as we move forward, we're cooling things off. We're seeing that here at the beginning of this week. If you went outside, it's been absolutely gorgeous across a lot of the Midwest. And we're going to have a couple hot days here or there. But the big headlining story here over the next seven to 10 days is going to be the increase in moisture across the central and eastern Corn Belt. And in some cases, eastern Iowa on into Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, parts of Michigan, and even parts of Wisconsin, those areas are going to have a risk of flooding of all things. You know, we haven't seen a lot of uh, heavy rainfall events in this part of the world here recently. And it looks like just in time for the weekend, we're going to be dealing with an increased amount of moisture and, and some relief, but in some cases it might even be too much. Gotcha. Well, I'm down here in the panhandle of Texas and we even saw some cooler weather today. I, I think it's like 83 out right now. Yesterday it was a, around the same thing. What's going on there? Cause that was certainly a surprise to me when I woke up yesterday morning to find out that it was cool outside. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's interesting. We saw a uh, tropical system go into the central Gulf coast here uh, over the weekend and late last week. And that really helped to shake up this weather pattern. And I, I'm sure you noticed this spring was abnormally cool in the Southern Plains. We did have a few weeks of the typical early summer heat here recently, but it really hasn't been all that bad. And I think as we continue on here to end June, I see a lot of relief in the forecast here for a lot of the Southern Plains. Temperatures will be still warm, but they're not going to be nearly as hot as they could be this time of the year with temperatures largely in the 80s and low 90s. So we can certainly deal with that for this time of the year. I certainly can deal with it. Absolutely. <laughs> because we've been experiencing some, you know, higher temperatures, at least here in Lubbock, the past, you know, couple of days or so. And I think tomorrow it's supposed to pick back up getting into the uh, low hundreds. But for the rest mm -hmm. of the summer, what does this outlook look like? I mean, not too much relief when it comes to rain, but is there any relief that we might see when it comes to temperatures? Anything getting lower or are we going to have ourselves a pretty hot summer? Yeah, it really depends on where you're at. Down in the Southern Plains, I think, like I said, the end of June here is going to be cooler. But as we head into July, as we typically see, we're going to see that ridge of high pressure set up down in the Southern Plains. And that should allow for temperatures to recover for most of the plains. Obviously, Central and North, we've already been quite hot this summer. But I think moving forward, the Plains and the West continue to lean hotter and drier while the further east you go, we're talking, let's say, I-35 as a delineator. East of there, into the eastern Corn Belt, down into the Delta and parts of the southeast, that part of the world is likely still going to be on the wetter side for the month of July, which for producers out there who still need the rain, certainly not a bad thing. And I want to take things down to South America because I haven't heard too much recently, but the last little bit of news that I had heard when it comes to weather, uh, it was pretty hot and dry down there as well. Do you have any kind of update for us? Yeah, so that's a really good question, and it has been on the warmer and drier side. The end of the safrina crop here certainly uh, struggled with a lot of dryness and heat in parts of southern Brazil, even up into central Brazil. Now, 
The tail end of the season here, late May, early June, did offer some precipitation in, in parts of Piranha and some of those southern Safrina production zones. But for the most part here, it has been a hot and dry Safrina season. And, and moving into the summer here, we are or their winter, we are in the dry season now. So the typical amounts of rain um, this time of the year is not all that hot, right? So this time of the year, we're not expecting too much up in central Brazil. But there are some opportunities here. Again, we're towards the tail end of any sort of uh, production or uh, production season, right? Where we're getting into their winter. Uh, but it does look like some rain in, in parts of um, southern Brazil here moving forward. And then temperature-wise, you know, we're always watching for cooler risk this time of the year in, in you know, any sort of frost potential. Right now, I think we're okay. I don't see any major risk for frost moving forward, but that is something we're going to have to monitor here into early July as harvest continues. You know, Ed, sometimes I forget how geography works and that it is, in fact, their winter now. So I didn't even think <laughs> about, you know, potential frosts or any anything, you know, of that nature. So I'm glad that you pointed that out and reminded me a little bit there. But I want to kick things back over here to the U.S., I don't know if you're able to, you know, see into the future too much, but, you know, if you were to be able to see into the future, do you think that there's anything that we need to be paying attention to? You know, I mean, we're not into harvest, you know, yet we still have some time, but do you have any kind of weather predictions that you might be able to give us come harvest season? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And, and it's always, I think last year was a really good example of how smaller, like, evolution can slowly change over time. You know, last year's dryness that crept up in August and September is a great example for soybeans. You know, going into this time of the year last year, we were sitting pretty. You know, we had a lot of really good moisture. It wasn't too hot. Everything was was looking pretty good. And then as we headed into that late summer, early fall time frame, that's when some of that um you know, dryness crept in. So it's always good to be looking ahead and, and keeping tabs on things. And as it stands now, I, I think there's a, a pretty big um, wrench that could be thrown in in the tropics. We're expecting a pretty active hurricane season. So that's a ways out there, but certainly something on the moisture front that we're going to have to be paying attention to. And then, you know, looking at temperatures here into the August and September timeframe, I don't see any extreme cool weather. Um, but it does look like the northern plains and prairies have at least some risk of being a little bit cooler as we get into the fall. So that would be something for an early frost risk. But again, we're still three, four months away. And, and the confidence there, of course, is very low. But since he asked, I figure I, I would add my two cents. Well, thank you so much for adding your two cents. I definitely appreciate it. But Ed, before we wrap things up here, is there any other things that producers should be paying attention to when it comes to weather or that they could be gearing up for right now? Yeah, I think the, the biggest headline that I'm looking at here into the weekend and early next week, so the, basically the last week of June here, the last few days, heavy rain in parts of eastern Iowa, northern Missouri, out into the eastern Corn Belt, that could certainly be a headline if it verifies. Some models have over six inches of rain over a short period of time, which could lead to some flooding. And then other than that, I think it's monitoring that drier northwestern uh, Corn Belt here. And unfortunately, I think it could get a little bit worse here before it has a chance to get any better. Well, Ed, if any of our listeners want to reach out to you to talk a little bit more about weather or want to look into Empire Weather, where can they find you out online? Yeah, 
follow me on Twitter at Valley WX. I'm very active on Twitter and you can go to our website, empireweather.com. Awesome. Well, Ed, thank you once again for giving us your two cents and just chatting weather. Definitely great to catch up. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thanks again there to Ed for coming on and chatting weather with us. And I I guess we got a little bit of weather updates that we don't really talk about so much in like the southwest region of the U.S. But I mean, Arizona, Nevada, they're, you know, in the desert, basically. So it's real hot and dry down there. So our cattle producers don't sound like they're doing too hot. No, certainly not. But uh, markets are certainly reacting. So this is going to be something that we probably need to stay on top of a little bit more action here heading into the heart of growing season. Absolutely, Delaney. And folks, if we do keep up with this real good, you can listen on agnewsdaily.com and follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at agnewsdaily for any weather updates. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.